0: As I said, this is my last Thursday night and uh, it has been so nice to be with you. Um, I I feel like uh, I've been in the company of some very serious practitioners. You know, your questions and your interests, your clear devotion to the practice has been very, it's like it it feeds me, you know, and in a situation like this uh, it ends up being quite cyclical, you know, and uh, the more uh, I feel the sense of your interest then, uh, you know, the more the the Dhamma comes out. We just keep flowing in this wonderful cycle. So I've thoroughly enjoyed this, and I'm glad we chose this topic of karma for the Thursday night group. Uh, Some of the questions and the feedback I've been getting is that it's been helpful. So I wanted to uh, wrap this up tonight with some thoughts, uh, some more thoughts about karma. And remember, when we're talking about karma, we're talking about it in the sense of... um, just looking at our conditioned habits and patterns of behavior, you know the, the sankharas. This is the Buddhist teaching on sankharas. They're mental formations. They're the sort of the, the the ways of relating and reacting, if you will, <laughs> more likely reacting to what arises in our conditions, in our lives. Uh, in our relationships and situations that we find ourselves in, but also it includes at very subtle levels the way that we are reacting to and receiving even our own states of mind, even our own emotional states. You know, so, and and this this is one of the richest areas, I think, of practice because you find that as meditators, as you begin to uncover what are your habits and patterns and each of us has our own kind of signature you know, the classic reaction to this is to hate them or to want to be some other way. And sometimes we don't even need to meditate to do that. <laughs> Most of us are caught into um, having an image of ourselves and and wanting to uh, be a certain way and then seeing the way that we are in, in subtle and not so subtle ways, you know, creating a relationship with ourselves that just can be full of self-loathing and self-criticism. So, you know, just being able to relate to our karmic patterns and habits in a new way, you can see how rich this area of our meditation practice can be. If we can relate in more healthy and useful ways to our own states of mind, to the situations in our lives, to the people in our lives. You know, I mean the the practice is about becoming harmless, becoming kind, you know, how are you going to do that? (laughs) You know, the the first uh, line of, of battle line, if you will, is to begin to uncover the way that we are, our own habits and patterns. And, you know, as we talked about it, being very honest and open about what we see, learning to relate even at this level with the most open-hearted kindness that we can and, and getting it over time that that's the best approach. So just to give a little summary of the, of the previous weeks, um, first we started this whole thing by um, looking, just kind of getting a sense of the impulses and, and urges that arise in the mind and, and the states of mind and, and the way that we behave and trying to get a clearer understanding of how these states arise and how to work with them. So we looked the first week about, um, at, at the, uh, what Buddha talked about as, as really restraint but often that's, that, that's a word that can kind of get people all tight and uh, twisted inside, you know, the idea of restraining what's going on. But it's a very, very useful response, uh, a much more skillful response than being completely caught and indulging in our states of mind. So initially, I guess really what he's saying here too is that the power of our habits is so great that initially one of the only things that we can do is just try to restrain that impulse and not follow that impulse. And it serves a very important purpose by not going with it. It's like as long as you're going with it, we can't see it. You know, indulging the state of mind, being caught up in it, is is completely consumed. You can't. You have no perspective. You have no uh, uh, objectivity in relation to it. So you're just completely caught in it. And um, so that one of the first approaches then is to get some, to try to get some sense of just kind of uh, restraining impulses. And from that perspective, and only from that perspective, really, can you begin to see them as as a, a phenomenon of something that's a, an arisen phenomenon in the mind. And you can feel that just just beginning to relate from that slightly different perspective, then you you're in a position to. To get a little more familiar with what they are, you know, to not uh, to uh, look at them more impartially and not be caught so easily, then you can then from that position you can sort of turn around. Can you feel that you just you're 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 not caught in it? You turn around and you look and you can uh, get a sense of what that state actually is. So in in this um, we talked about the six animals, you know, that that beautiful sutta of the Uh, Buddha's where he talked about taming the six animals by tying them to a stake, recognizing that the the input where everything comes in is through the six senses. And so the effort is to, you know, tie a stake (laughs) around these six animals and kind of anchor it a little bit uh, until uh, they become quiet, until they become tame so that the mind isn't always going out to things, the heart isn't always going out to things, the, the eye isn't just picking up everything it sees, the tongue isn't doing the same thing. You know, it's just re- relaxing more. Restraint is relaxed. You know? it's, it has a lot to do with relaxation and cultivating tranquility. You know, to say it in the way that we use it in everyday language, it doesn't convey that feeling, does it? You know, it's like, restrain, tighten up. But in the purest sense, when it's mature, it has this quality of a mother who loves her child and keeps helping the child not get into danger. That's a very loving quality. It's not a quality that's yanking things out of their hand. It's sort of uh, giving them other things that might be more skillful or useful. So it's it's this. If you can feel that as a, as a metaphor, that's the the quality um, that we want to uh, cultivate and uh, from doing this you begin to get a sense of just the early pinnings of seeing the force of greed hatred and delusion in the mind yeah, because they have been they've had free reign up until this point <laughs> they can do anything they want but then when you begin to pull back then you're in a position to observe them from a a much more detached perspective. So really at this stage, you're you're beginning to take another tack and looking at things. You know, that that objectivity is huge. So then we looked at um, ways of working with the karmic um, habits and patterns. So recognizing um, that uh, uh, just knowing them and knowing when we're in a difficult state is huge. You know, that I think that's highly underrated, that uh, f- until we can look with some semblance of impartiality and say, you know, I'm, God, I'm, I'm really angry, you know, I'm really being piggy right now, then you can feel the, the the shift that's taken place from being piggy or being angry, you know, just completely caught in those states of mind versus having um, this sense of, Wow, this is really, (laughs) I I can feel what this, this, I know this state. I can name it. I can feel what it's like. Can you feel that? It's like it's very different. It's a very distinctly different experience. You're not lost. And from that um, vantage point, then one is able to begin to um, investigate. And investigation in the Buddhist teachings has to do with getting a sense of what it's like. You know, it's, yes, it's finding out, getting clearer as to what the state of mind is. Yes. So sometimes you have to poke at it and, you know, what are you? <laughs> you know, am I pissed or am I just sort of irritated? You know, <laughs> it get, try to discern the subtle differences between different states of mind. You know, so, so you have that aspect of it. But it really, the investigation as we talk about it in practice has, has more to do with making contact with feeling what it feels like to be in that state. Feeling what, you know, and this is sort of the beginning, middle, and end part of practice. Feeling what it's like as it comes up. Feeling what it's like to be caught in it. Feeling what it's like after it's all over, you know. That kind, you know, and really like bringing those moments fully into awareness and letting the magic of mindfulness Letting, letting mindfulness do its magic, you know, which is, uh, and that, that's a wonderful thing that begins to get cultivated too. It's like, as the more you're able to do this, then one gets this sense of the power of mindfulness. You know, we think that we're the ones that have to smack ourselves around to stop being angry or piggy or whatever, you know. But really, one begins to get a sense that, that hating ourselves when we're in these states is useless. It actually does more harm than good. You end up in a whole nother... You end up in these cycles, these twisted states of mind that just go on and on and on. You know, there's like no end, you know. You, you, you hate something and then you hate that you hate it and then you hate that you hate that you hated it. And it just, it just goes on and on and on, you know. You've you got to find a way to snap out of it. And what's happening in this uh, phase of practice is beginning to get a certain trust Open to a whole new approach, a whole new approach, which is just direct experience, not just direct, it's direct experience, you know, that, that if we dare to allow ourselves to feel what it's like to be in these states of mind, then, and, and, and do that. Repeatedly, 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 no matter how bad. And I mean, this phase of practice, I, I call it sort of the nausea phase, you know, because it's like it, when you're speaking ill about somebody, it's like black gunk coming out of your mouth, you know. When you're caught in a, in a hateful state of mind, it's like hammers, you know, bashing you down and bashing down. It's a, these states of mind only have to be felt directly. We're not stupid, you know, we get it when we just trust this process. And I think what's going on in this phase of practice is you're really getting to where you can trust it. You can trust the practice, the processes of practice. And that's great. That grows and grows and grows over time as it gets more and more imbued with wisdom, as you get more and more understanding that uh, not only about the methods of practice, but the, what's going on with these states of mind. You know? The more we understand, the, the more objective we become. And when we get objective, then we're really well-positioned to contemplate these processes of mind. So wh- when we aren't caught up, then you can begin to get the insights, of insight meditation. This is, this is insight meditation. Well, what are those insights? you know, from this vantage point, then you can begin to see very directly that I don't care what the state of mind is, it doesn't have a very long life. It ri- rises and it passes away. And over time, you know, one begins to trust in the truth of a you know, that it's these things are impermanent. And, you know, if it's difficult and you're just trying to feel the harm of it, you can trust that well that 's an impermanent state anyway you 're not going to have to endure it very long to get it you know it 's going to move you, We get to see that every time we get caught up in them we 're suffering so this grabbing you know the Buddha talked about tanha clinging uh, and grabbing as sort of the the, the, the suffering um, of our experience well. You know, we just can see that every time we're caught in these states grabbing in that way, then we're suffering. And and the most important one, I think, is you begin to see over time that you're not making any of this happen. You're not bringing these states up. They're coming up on their own. And as you trust practice more, you're also seeing you're not making them go away either. <laughs> <laughs> it's all happening. And this posturing yourself as the knower of it all gets stronger and stronger. Can you feel that? It's like you, you can pull back and you're the knower. You're not the one that's making it happen or making it stop or any of it. You're just the knower and the knower and the experiencer of it. That's That really pays off as the years of practice go by. You know, that... that Posture will strengthen a lot as well. And, and finally, in that last uh, last week, we looked at um, the importance of turning um, turning to these skillful states. We're not always being unskillful. Every time we talk about karma, we only we only talk about the the bad karma, you know. And uh, there there are there are also highly conditioned skillful karmic karmic acts. And we behave well. We all behave very well. And and the point is that maybe because of our propensity for self-loathing, we're not tuning into these times enough. We need to tune into our goodness a lot more than we do. So that every time that there's a kind moment when you restrain oneself from saying something unkind, maybe there's an impulse to, to gossip or talk about somebody behind their back and and you don't do it you know those moments are great that those they really have we really have to see those moments and and let the heart be happy let the heart experience what it feels like to be kind to be good you know they're there there as much our teachers as feeling the pain of um, unwholesome states And that's, I mean, that's, I like that. That's kind of like a little carrot in practice, you know. It's, um, we, we get lost in thinking that it's all bad. There's so much, there's so many happy, good moments. And I think because of our preoccupation with other things, we're missing them. So, so the effort here is to tune in more and let that do its magic on us as well. So, um, actually, what I wanted to offer uh, for the rest of the evening came up really from some of the meetings I've had with people. You know, just wanting to get a sense of um, the fruits of practice and what one can expect um, from opening in this way, identifying one's habits and patterns and learning to work with them in a more skillful way. And these these thoughts come from my own practice and from um, talking as I have through the years with many many other practitioners and really getting a sense that there's definitely patterns here there's definitely things kind of signposts and and uh, things that are quite common and the Buddha talked about these at at length as well Um, so. Just looking, whether um, whether it, we're talking about the sitting meditation or just noticing our experience throughout the day. And, you know, I like to think of meditation as 24-7. And really, I think that in terms of mind states, a lot more of your practice will actually take place off the cushion than on it. You know, because that's when, it, normally, or often, not normally, but often during the sittings, one is using those periods to uh, train, just to cultivate that staying power, that sense of opening and focusing and all of that. And, and that's great. And that's how we should use it. Uh, and sometimes mind states will come up and we can contemplate those um, on the cushion. But a lot of it, I find, happens just kind of walking and talking and living daily, living in your regular life. So, one of the first things that happens as meditators is that we become aware of the tremendous activity in the mind. Tremendous activity. The Tibetans call this the first major insight of practice, and they call it um, seeing the mind as a waterfall. You know, just this cascading of thoughts and feelings and sensations and um you know as as you begin to see this gra- gradually over time one develops a relationship with it that becomes more and more uh, impartial but initially it's not impartial at all <laughs> initially when we s- start seeing what's going on in the mind you know just the chatter the inane chatter would be enough you know to sit how many hours have you sat and listened to this you know yackety, y- 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 <laughs> just going on and on and on and on about things you know most of it is entirely free of any useful content you know it's just chatter so so that that right there is enough um to be to, to start to feel a little dejected about but then you know you see the states of mind you see what this mind is capable of clinging to you know and and so our looking it, it's it might be somewhat impartial, but initially it has a little bit of an edge to it, doesn't it? It's like you know, yeah, I see it, but you know <laughs> it's sort of a a, a wishing that it w- wasn't there, you know a sense of maybe even being um a little dejected about it, but you know as meditation, you just keep hanging in there with it. And over time, I find that, you know, we, we soften around it and the capacity to just say, you know, yep, those states really come up in me. You know, that's, that's the way I am. If you want to put it that way until we get enough insight into anatta, you know, that's the way I am. That has to happen, you know. And actually, initially it can feel very heavy, but I've grown myself to actually love it. You know, it's almost like, yep, that's the way I am. Yep, that's yep. I do that one too. Yep, <laughs> yep, yep. I've seen that one too. <laughs> I do it all. I've done it all. I've seen it all. And there's there's a a piece in that. You know, it's like. There's not much that anybody can tell you that you do that surprises you, you know. It's like, yep, you know that one. And so it's tremendous in relationships because, uh, you know, you you cooperate with what you see in each other. So the the, uh, emotional charge around this, all of this stuff begins to settle and things get a lot more matter-of-fact, don't they? Just like, yep, that's the way, yep, yep. That's the way it is. <laughs> this is for those of you who heard me tell the story about the cups and bowls, you know, at IMS, where I would went through this whole phase of being completely caught up in getting the attractive cups and bowls, and and then uh, disengaging a little bit from that and seeing that as a as a pattern uh, in my mind, and then getting irritated by it and uh, hating myself that I wanted these pretty things, you know. But eventually just getting to this place where, you know, I could see that this impulse to reach for beautiful things was, it was a very strong force and it was really too strong to be thrashed down by hating it. You know, hating it wasn't working. And so just instead beginning to adopt a posture that allowed me to be more spacious around, could I receive that? Could I allow that that is the way that I relate to things, you know, that's, and, and also beginning to get a sense that it's happening by itself. These, these are huge aspects of, of kind of just opening to this um, simple experience of being drawn into things. So, um, in, in the face of all this, we get a little bit more accepting, just a, a little gradually, you know, there's this sense of accepting and receiving things All manner of things, you know, just begins to get stronger and and stronger. But there can still be a sense of dejection in it, you know. Uh, Just ever so subtly, that edge, you know, where, I don't know if you've ever had this thought, you know, where it's like, I'm never going to change. You know, it's never going to happen. I am always going to be this way. I'm never going to get any kind of power over these states of mind. So that can still be operating that can still be quite strong, but still you have to recognize that the, the, the mind is beginning to shift and turn. So eventually even that softens. And, um, you know, I, I, I've experienced this in my own practice, as sort of, uh, it's like a resignation, you know, it's like, you know, a, a fatigue, it has a quality of fatigue. It's like I've seen this state of mind so many times. I see it. I'm impartial. I'm not hating it anymore. It's almost like I'm just tired of it. <laughs> I'm just getting so tired of this state. I wish it would stop overtaking me. It's like a, you know an alien possession. Every time it goes up, you know. <laughs> just trying to calm myself down a little bit, and and I I, I actually I actually have. Grown to love this phase. It, it, it's kind of like a, it has a very humbling quality to it. You know, it, you're, it's almost like this sense of self that thinks it's in control and running everything is really getting a thrashing. You know, it's really getting beat down. It can't, it's finally found something bigger than it. <laughs> you know, karma is like your habits and your patterns, your own states of mind are bigger than self. Self can't control them, you know. It's been trying, and it's using all these methods that don't work. And after months and years of practice, you, you know, you're starting to get it, aren't you? It's like, it does. it's not working. Hatred doesn't work. You know, restlessness and agitation and worry don't work. You know, doubt and confusion, beating up on myself, they just don't work. You know, so all you're left with is, this is kind of like... there's no place to go, you know, there's nothing to do, you know. Ajahn Chah talks about this, you know, you sort of get to this place where the mind can't go forward, it can't go back, there's just no place that it can go. This is great, it's great stuff, you know. (laughs) This is right where you want to (laughs) be. So just... Experiencing this, you know, for myself, it sort of felt like an exhale. You know, it's like, and that, it was like that for a while. It just, you know, it had, it didn't pick it back up again. But after a while, it does. It's like, you know, every exhale has an inhale, even these, you know. And there was this, finally, after a while, it might have been months, could have been years, don't remember, (laughs) you know, it's like, it was like, um, that inhale is like it has this. It, it's it's really where practice is getting interesting. It's starting to uh, take on a life of its own, if you can feel it. Because what's happened is you, you have a, enough experience to see that it's all just happening, and there's not much I can do, everything I've been doing doesn't work. And you let go. You just let go. And then you can breathe in the next moment which says, well, what is all this stuff anyway? (laughs) It's sort of, can you feel it's like there's interest finally. It's not completely caught in it. And you can feel the factors of enlightenment beginning to take root. There's interest. There's a new vitality. There's a peace around it all. There's tranquility because it's like, um, you know, I'm okay with this. I'm okay. This is what's happening. I'm not quarreling with it anymore. There's awareness, you know, mindfulness. Uh, There's wisdom. There's enough understanding to know that the hindrances don't work. Let's try a new tack, right? These are all the factors of enlightenment. So the mind just starts to get brighter and lighter and it, it's much more interested. And then you can turn to these states of mind and um, get some sense, you get a much deeper sense of them as a risen phenomenon, a much deeper sense of being caught in them as suffering, a much deeper sense of it, it, it's, it's, none of it's under my control, I can let it go. And I love that, you know, you can feel it. It's a very organic process, this waking up. You know, it's all predicated on mindfulness. All we've done to get to this place is pay attention. That's all we've done, really. If you've done more than pay attention, then you're back in the soup. You know, (laughs) so it's just kind of impartial. Pay attention, feel what it feels like, and let that do its work so this is all very important at this point we're less concerned about the fact that the mind keeps going off and more and more concerned about what it's going off to you know and this is where like in the fourth foundation of mindfulness buddha says this is what we have to see we have to see that it keeps going off to the body to the mind it keeps go- it keeps grabbing hold of physical and mental experience and claiming it as its own. We have to see that for ourselves. Um, we have to see the importance of guarding the sense basis and seeing what it, you know, this, this, is, this is when it stops being an idea. Oh, let me put my centurion at the sense doors and try to restrain. It, it actually gets more internalized because you, you have to see, we have to see for ourselves That it's right there where all the action is. If I can get a sense of my mind going out to things, then and 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 know and now I know the consequences of that. Then my capacity to just kind of hold it right there just um, strengthens, doesn't it? It's like it's what's actually happening is that we're developing what's called the the quiet mind, viveka. It's the capacity of the mind to just kind of notice all of this activity and just receive it. Sort of, it's like standing free from the mind states. You know, the mind states are there. We have this big debate whether enlightenment means the mind states are gone, you know. And uh, I was just reading a book by Ajahn Chah and he, you know, he said, no, you know, it's not about what's arising in the mind. It's about how you're with it. You know, so anything can keep coming up. The point is, you've found this silent place. You've found this place that's quiet in the midst of all of that. And you've found that that's your refuge. That's where you want to be. And really condition your capacity to stay there, to, to strengthen your capacity to stay there. And then that, over time, matures. That, that, that uh, Viveka matures into what's called... Dispassion, which, you know, there's another one of those words. <laughs> it's like, ew, I don't want to be dispassionate. <laughs> but, you know, getting an understanding of what the Buddha is talking about with this, uh, this uh, way of relating, it, you know, it can sound so heartless, but it's actually come out of incredible compassion. It's come out of our capacity to see all of these states of mind and to open our hearts to ourselves and more, and as importantly to other people. You know, other people's states of mind aren't bothering you so much either. You know, so that we're more uh, spacious and kind with with our own shortcomings and those of other people. So out of this capacity to be dispassionate, then comes this feeling of it's okay, it's okay to be. that that my patterns, my habits, my karma, they're okay. Other people's are okay. I can be with it. Um, Even if we don't always see them, even if we get caught in them. It's like, oh, I should be beyond this, you know. That doesn't happen anymore. It's okay. You got caught in it. That's a given. You know, in the Buddhist teachings, that's a given. That's what it's all about. It's like, starts with the baseline, that of of we're ignorant, <laughs> you know, so everything, it's all up from there. Can it be uh, okay that even if we see them, um, we can't always disengage? Even that becomes okay. Like, wow, this is a really strong state of mind. I can't, you know, I can't get a handle on it. It's probably going to take me months. But even that's okay. You know, can you feel It's wonderful. You know, you're really enjoying the fruits of um, the dispassionate heart. This is what we talk about. This is what we mean when we talk about dispassion in the, in the practice. And then this matures even more to a state that I love the, the translation for it is one of disenchantment. And where literally in relation to these um, difficult patterns and habits, uh, there's, you know, the the, the the tendency to even go in that direction dries up. You know, it's like it really gets rich. There's, uh, and you, I know you've all had this experience, haven't you? Where it's like you see, you subtly see the fruits of practice. Like one day you notice that you're in a situation that used to do it for you. You know, <laughs> this is one of those situations where I used to get nuts. And I'm not nuts you know this is one situation where I used to get anxious and worried you know confused and completely out of touch and that's not happening you know well how did that happen you begin to see that and that gets you know that fuels fuels our practice fuels our effort more and more so the the understanding of the truth of the Buddhist teachings you know the the faith, the so called, um, maybe sort of the blind faith that we enter practice with, gets more and more internalized, verified from our own experience. And we know that he's right. You know, the things he's saying about breaking out of these incredibly painful and difficult states of mind and heart, the things he's saying are true. They really work. This is the way. That it operates, this is the way that the mind operates, this is how we get into suffering, and this is how we get out of it. You know? And then I think the Eightfold Path becomes like this huge attraction. You know, you just, well, what does that path say anyway? (laughs) How how can I live that? How can I do that? Because uh, there's such a happiness that is experienced from, from living it. So, I hope this is helpful. I uh, wanted to tie some things up tonight and leave a little time for some questions to see if you have some questions or maybe some comments about all of this. I, I know that you have experiences of your own that might be useful to talk about. Yeah? I didn't hear you right. but You said you are talking about kind of the negative states it sounded like and that you find that you're not creating these Right it's one of those paradoxes, Possession. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that um that um they they arise they arise i mean if you could if you could not be angry ever again, wouldn't you not do that so you're so there's something in it that that the, whoever it is you think you are isn't the one that's running it, you know that these it's sort of a, a mental phenomenon, are just kind of following their own rules, their own laws, they arise, and that's that's that as an insight is huge because if that's true, then I, I don't need to be making such a fuss about them. I don't need to hate myself when I'm in them. And I don't need to completely get caught up in them when they arise. I don't have to believe them, which is actually the greed. We relate to them with greed, hatred, and delusion. This greed, which we call greed, but in this sense it's much more subtle. It's a movement of the mind to um, identify with it, to become that. And if we're not doing that, then we've just become it and we hate that we did. Right? Right? yeah so it's like if we if we can just get at that level of reactivity that's a, that's big where you begin to see that um, we relate to our own states of mind with greed hatred and delusion and it just kind of soften around that that's 90% of it right there yeah i mean that's what i I jokingly talk about lowering my standards in practice, but I used to have this uh, standard that somehow the mind was going to become completely pure and clean and none of these states would ever come up. And now I'm happy just to not hate them when they do, (laughs) you know, or not get caught in them. A lot easier and actually more accurate. What else? Yes. Um, I'm not sure quite how to express this, but um, I'm aware of the feeling of uh, sadness or sorrow uh, in, my, in my life at the moment. And um, um, uh, as, I, as I watch my mind, you know, I can almost see it sort of prancing over there to that suffering and wanting to kind of indulge in it all you know, in it or, or mm-hmm. just, you know, just wall in it or something. Mm-hmm. And then, but there is, a, there's a moment or two when I can just, I guess you call it even a moment or something. And, um, and, and it's, and it's clear and calm and there's nothing there. But that, you know, it's almost, like you say, it just comes up and you just kind of go over there. It's, yeah. It's, you know, it's really hard to, to put that right, right, and and the uh, I think the point needs to be made though that there is um, there is pain in life, and um, you know it, some pains go on for a long time. They just it just it's like a wave. It just keeps arising and will take you over for a, a while. And um, that this is normal and this is natural and. That's not indulging a state of mind there there is um sort of the ordinary pain and misery. You know <laughs> What the Buddhist teachings are talking about is the um, the suffering that gets added to that, so just to discern and see uh, that you're not um, wanting to get rid of something that actually just is absolutely normal to to feel a sadness for loss of a loved one or difficult situations or something like that. That's fine. That runs its course. The thing is, if there's a going out to it, it we can. I mean, there's a way that um, even painful situations um, are attractive because they give the this, this sense of self something to get caught up in, something to become identified with. This is who I am. I'm this miserable person who's having a hard time, you know. And that's what you want to look out for. So just discern those two, okay? Does that help? Yeah. 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 Have you seen this, these kinds of things? Yeah. I'm this and you talked about Yeah. Um, but you're talking about, um, i, I, I what I'd like you is to give a definition of Yeah. What is, yeah. So yeah, we talk about it in a number of ways. And, and you're right. It does, um, uh, karma, it actually means action. So it's like, um, it, it has to do with the um, intention behind action and the consequence of all of that. So when we look at um, karma, there's really two ways to look at it. It's the action itself, which is the momentary creating of a pattern or a habit. Because basically, when the way that we act has a momentum, and it creates a condition that um, makes us more likely to act that way again, you know. Um, so it has to do with that. But then there's what we call vipaka or vipaka which is like the um, accumulated outcome of past action. So that that momentum that gets created by the way that we behave is what's arising now. Like, you know, when you sit on the cushion and there's all these thoughts and patterns and, acti- you know, this mental activity, that's um, the outcome of past actions. I mean, it could be a simple, just to give you sort of a mundane example, um, you know, if one is uh, has too much going on in their life, you know, it's just way too many things, too many uh, irons in the fire, and then you go and sit down and meditate and expect your mind to be still. Well, you know what you get instead is this flood, you know, of all of activity because of all of the um, things that we have going on. It's like you know you can't. That's the outcome. This flood of activity. Like you go to lay down at night and you can't go to sleep. Well, your mind's been zzzz, 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 all day. It can't just stop. It's got a momentum, you know. So it's the it's that level. Yeah. Yes. Sorry. So what we're talking about is really the whole range of human emotions mm-hmm. is uh, acceptable. It is there. Uh, it's only the question of how we look at it. Yes of the waterfall, it's a question of sitting in the waterfall <laughs> or looking at the waterfall. Interesting, yes, very good. Isn't that what you're yeah, like talking about? Perceiving yes. The waterfall. We may still get wet, yeah. but we're seeing it as what it is. Right, right, exactly. Exa- yeah, exactly. And that—that that is the um, primary ingredient uh, for uh, uh, not creating any more karma so that that whole... Well, Uh, impulse begins to dry up, you know, where um, when there's no more unwholesome karma being created, the mind just gets quieter and quieter and quieter. All that's happening is sort of the residual effects of yesterday's karma, (laughs) and those fizzle out after a while. And at that time, are you creating wholesome karma? The, well, in a way, at at that time, you're a Buddha. You're you're not creating anything. (laughs) A a Buddha can't create unwholesome. unwholesome. But it's not entirely accurate to say that they're creating wholesome. They're really just being. They're just kind of... It's a fine point, yeah. If if you're you're having behavior that's creating unwholesome uh, karma and you start paying attention and holding it in a different way, that is other types of behavior. Yeah. Is that in the same way we, yeah. know, we created uh, wholesome karma? Right, too. right. So that way of, of working through the unwholesome karma is now, yes. at the same time, creating some wholesome karma. Right, right. It, just consider that, that the wholesome and unwholesome fall into um, these, th- these two categories. Um, to elaborate on those, Buddha said that there were six uh, bases for action, six um, kinds of intention. And um, three are unwholesome, and those are greed, hatred, and delusion. Okay, And then the three are um, wholesome, and they're non-greed, non-hatred, and non-delusion. So um, if you can just imagine, which, I mean, at least from where we are now, we can only imagine, I think, what a mind and heart that has no greed, no hatred, and delusion is like that's the place from which one would be acting Can you talk more about relationship karma? like what I was saying about um yeah um, just the um, uh, I think what happens over time is as you get more skilled with working with your own states of as we get more skilled with working with our own states of mind um, and more um, enlightened, if you will, to how they happen and um, to how easily one gets caught in them, how difficult it is to overcome them, then you can imagine that that humbling effect that I was talking about, what that does to you, uh, would have an effect on the way that we relate to other people so that what comes at us um, is received a whole lot differently, you know, and then um, if both people have this same kind of understanding, what's possible, to me, what's possible in relationship is that um, it, it's, you know, sometimes it can so much get into this, well, you, you know, you did this and you did that, that and all that kind of stuff can go on. And it's so debilitating, you know. But what's possible is that um, if, we, if we both know how or all know how to work with mind states, Then we're much more spacious and forgiving about each other's shortcomings, you know, or um, the places where we need to open, and much more helpful. You know, it's like we know what it takes to open to states, you know, and so you're you're like much more helpful. It's like, oh my gosh, you're in that state. You, You just, you get more compassionate instead of angry, you know, and so, um, you can you can see the implications of what might be possible from working with things in this more enlightened way. I, I see like the instead of this, it's more like you know there's there's like a triangle. There's, this, there's the two of us and we're both trying to get free. Now how are we going to do it? You know, and maybe we can be a help to each other in that instead of um, making it more difficult, which often happens. You know. I don't know if that's helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, one more. Mm-hmm. I have a question about the greed, hatred, and delusion. Um, if that's pushed aside, and something like art or being creative or something like that, is there a different type of waterfall that you're suggesting, like forward standing on the, side of the waterfall, that will create something like it's not big. Yeah, actually, I think in in many ways, um, artists um, have a little bit of an edge on on us as meditators, you know, that because um, what it takes to do that is just, in many ways, what it is we're trying to do, which is to get ourselves out of the way, so that what would interfere with the creative process would be wanting it to be a certain way, hating the way it is, you know, it, it being deluded about the whole experience, so that. Uh, the more that one can free oneself from these states of mind, I, I think it 's quite common to find very creative channels opening up in fact there's um, um in, in some monasteries, this is highly encouraged that um, even as a tool for practice, that the monks and nuns uh, pick something up creative to to just to, to have more experience in their life of not Controlling things, you know. Is the passion there? In that state, questioning nihilism type of place. Like you're not going to go to a place of numbness by the side. No, you're not going to go, oh no. I would think it's very very much alive. Um, it's just not being attached to this, you know. Right, right. It's kind of riding the waves, you know. It may not be very mindful. That's the only thing. But um, it's not harmful. <laughs> so again, thank you. Uh, thank you for your attention. Thank you for your intention. <laughs> thank you for your kind support. It's been a pleasure to be here these weeks. And uh look forward to seeing you again. Probably this time next year, maybe. We'll see. <laughs>